today we're going to be looking at Colossians 3. And one of the great things about Colossians is that on the one hand, it's it's got these huge, overarching, glorious themes we can just relish in. But on the other hand, it also has some the most pragmatic and practical stuff of how to live life you'll ever find in the Scripture. So it's both. And we're actually going to see both of those in the text we look at today. Remember last week we talked about that Christ is all we need. We have all we need in him. We don't need legalism. Sometimes we feel like we need to obey a bunch of rules. That makes us better. We don't need aestheticism. Not another, we need to give up stuff. That makes us better. We don't need philosophy to add other things. All we need is Christ, and that balances out our life, and he is our fullness. And we're always trying to add something to that or take something away or make, we always want to do it ourselves in some way and just come to the realization that he is all we truly need. And now we're going to move into that even more. Look at chapter 3. Again, Paul's writing this letter to the church at Colossia, a church he's probably never visited. Um, and he's in prison now. He's heard about them. He cares about them. Uh, they are a church that is full of people like you, imperfect, not yet what Christ will make you, and dealing with life and all the struggles and bringing with it all your baggage and all your background and all your worldview and everything people has ever done to you and your family's done to you and your, your upbringing is done to you. You bring all of that. And Paul's talking to a group of folks who formed a church and he's giving them some amazing insight and guidance and advice. And I just pray we hear that today. He says, verse 1 of chapter 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Father, as we move into this passage this morning, make it clear and powerful to our lives, I pray. There are some here, Lord, who are really struggling with anxiety and sickness and financial pressure and broken relationships and all kinds of things in our lives. Lord, today, in the next few moments, help us see the glory and the beauty of you. Help us tune our hearts to you to truly set aside the things of this world and look to you. And Father, for those who aren't with us that are part of our body, we care for them and we trust you'll be with them and bring them back to us again safely. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We ended with that last week. As opposed to trusting in philosophy or legalism or asceticism, put your mind on Christ. Think on him. As I said last week, what would you be thinking about if you, weren't, if you had nothing to think about? What do, you do, what do you think about when you've got nothing else to think about? That's what I meant to say. Where does your mind wander? Where do you go? How often do you wander on the glory and the beauty and the richness of Christ and what he's done for you, what he's doing for you, and what he'll continue to do for you? How often do you, does your mind wander on the, 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 the hope that is yet before you and, and what heaven will be like and how glorious it'll be to be in a body where we'll no longer be tempted, we'll no longer wrestle with sin? Or do we often, when we have nothing to think about, do we think about ourselves, and think about things of this earth, 
Think about the vacations or the money or the hobbies we might have. And there's nothing particularly wrong with that. But think about it, Christian, for a minute. Those vacations and those hobby and that money, they're not going to be there for eternity. They're not going to help you when the doctor tells you you've got an incurable disease or when you get a phone call that someone you loved has been killed in a tragic accident. Think on those things that are eternal. We are so bound to this world. And perhaps our culture and the church in the 21st century North America, we, we have so much of the world to enjoy. We have so many things at our fingertips that we can enjoy every day. There's so much food. We can, we can walk into a grocery store. I mean, can you? we don't even imagine what it was like you know, 150 years ago before refrigeration and, 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 and how it was to feed your family and the work. You, now we just walk into Price Chopper and get anything we want. We can get in our car and go to any place and have these great experiences at Silver Dollar City or Disney World or, or, or you can go to Bass Pro Shop and enjoy that and then go to the lake. I'm not saying anything wrong with that, but there's so much of the world for us to enjoy and to fill up our senses that sometimes it really is something we don't do very often to simply think on the glorious things of Christ. We get all caught up in this world. Because there's so much to get caught up in. And as I've said so many times, we are wealthy. And we talk about, you know, you see, when Jesus talks about those who are wealthy in the scripture, we don't think that's us. It's us. When you look at the look at the seven billion people who are on the face of this earth, every one of us in this room this morning, compared to that seven billion, are wealthy. And Jesus makes it clear that wealth can be a hindrance to really seeing the glory of Christ, the beauty of the gospel. How hard it is for a rich man to see the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye. Why? Because so much that distracts us. And I think so many times in our Christian life, we're so distracted by the things of this world that when a crisis comes or a struggle comes, we sort of feel cut off and alone. And where's Christ? Well, we haven't been thinking about him. We haven't been meditating on him. Our heart's not drawn to him. So Paul says, set your mind on the things that are above. Also, he says in verse 5, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. I mean, he, he makes a very distinction here. You know, there's some things in this world that you have to set aside. You can't, you can't live in both. And there's always this tension for some who are Christians to believe, look, I've been saved. God's grace covers everything. I don't have to worry about it. It's not anywhere in the scripture is that clear that we don't have to worry about it. Sin destroys whatever it enters. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. I mean, he's very, you know, he just went through in the previous chapter. It's not about legalism. He's not talking about legalism here. He's talking about as you set your mind on Christ, you'll want less of these things and you'll put these things away. And you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. All right, here's where we're going to focus this morning. You put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Because of what Christ has done for you, you are a new creature, a new creation. You have a new birth. You've been born again. 
And if it pleased God, you could have been born again as an adult, (laughs) fully grown as a Christian without any of these problems. But that's not what's happened. It's pleased God to have you born as a babe. And we have to grow up in our faith and mature in our faith and develop in our faith. And we have to grow in our faith. And we're going to talk about why that's important and how we do that here in a minute. But here's what's interesting about this. Listen, verse 11. Here there is here in this new birth that we have. All right. In your in your I'm speaking here to Christians this morning. If you know Christ and you've been you've been redeemed, there was a time in your life when you confessed your sin and you repented of your sin and you asked him to save you. He did that work. You didn't do it. He saved you. He put that in you. But in this new life that you have, there is not Greek or Jew, or circumcised, or uncircumcised, or barbarian, or Scythian, or slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. And then look at verse 12. Put on then as the chosen ones of God. You had really nothing to do with this. I mean, you did have to repent. You did have to turn from your sin. You did have to confess him. But God's the one who loved you when you were a sinner. He chose you. You didn't choose him. Make that very clear. God is the initiator of your salvation. You are not. And so Paul is saying here, God chose you for make you different, to make you pure, to make you holy, make you like Christ. And here's the cool thing about this text. In your previous life, before you were converted, your identity came in who you were and who you weren't. I'm a Jew, therefore... I'm more religious and I'm circumcised and I do all these. I'm a Greek. And you know, we Greeks, we, we're great philosophers and thinkers and we have ancient culture. Even in the first century, our culture was ancient. Or I'm a barbarian. I guess someone was bragging about that. Or I'm not a barbarian. Or I'm a Scythian or whatever that is. Or I'm slave or I'm free. In our own lives, before Christ, we try to find our identity in the things of this world. And oftentimes what we do is we try to find our identity in who we are or who we're not. And we sort of divide up. And if we've ever been, I mean, you can look around our culture today and it's very divided, right? I'm for this, I'm for that, I'm not for this, I'm not for that. That's of the world in in many ways what Paul's talking about here. No longer do you find your identity in who you are or in who you're not. There's a new identity. Put then, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In other words, what Paul's talking about here. You ready? He's talking about a community. Once you become born again and you become a believer in Christ, you're not just out there independent by yourself. In fact, you sort of lose yourself. You're not Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised or barbarian or free or slave. We are all together born again, his children, in this community, this new identity that is in Christ. Christ is all. My Greek heritage is not all. My Jewish heritage is not all. My, my, my job, my career, my whatever, it's not all. All now is Christ. So that means within the body of Christ, within the gathered church, 
It's what draws us together, not what separates us. And what draws us together is the fullness of Christ and what he's done for us. You are a new creation, and there is no Greek, no Jew, no circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. I love what John Piper says. Where in the culture does anybody stand up and say Christ is all except for the church? You don't see it on the news. You don't read it in the paper. You don't see it on the internet unless it's Christians who say it because we're the ones who proclaim it with such passion and joy because of everything else in this world, Christ is all. Media is not all. Government is not all. Politics is not all. Pleasure is not all. Money is not all. Power is not all. Kingdoms are not all. Christ is all. And I am not of money and power and politics and kingdoms. I am of Christ. And you are of Christ. Whether you're a Greek, whether you're a Jew, whether you're free, whether you're a slave, whether you're male, whether you're female, all of that matters not in that we are all together in Christ. This is a glorious truth. You could marinate on this for days. And realize my identity is in him. My joy is in him. My hope is in him. My trust is in him. My future is in him. My home is in him. Wow, Christ really is all. He has everything I need. And since he is all, and since we are no longer finding our primary identity in these other things that separate us or we think give us distinction or make us better than somebody else or different than somebody else. But we are all in his, all of us who are redeemed. We are all in him. Then he says, we should show compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Why? Because that's Christ. When we start living like him, we start thinking like him and looking to him and meditating on him, we start living the way he wants us to live. In verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each of you as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive verse 14 and above all things put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called in one body and be thankful and let the word of christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the God, God to the Father for him. Here he's talking about your community, your Christian community, your church, within the church at Colosseum, within the church here at Grace Family. He tells us what we're to do. We're not to define ourselves by who we're not or who we are in our, in our, in our own view of the world and our own background. We're not, we're not different. We're all in Christ. 
Again, no Greek, no Jew, no free, no slave. We're all in Christ. Put those things aside. Those are temporary. Those are not really who defines you anymore. You're defined by what has happened to you. There's a new birth and that you were chosen of God and he redeemed you. And it's just like that, just like that butterfly. You, you, you come out of that cocoon, a new and wonderful creation. And now this is how you live in that creation. You set your mind on Christ, not on the things of this world, because you're no longer of this world. You don't find your primary identity in this world. You find it in him. And when you find it in him, you love him and you live like him. And when you live like him, you will have meekness and humility and compassion. And verse 13, you endure one another. Endure one another. For goodness sakes, just put up with each other. We don't want to put up with, we don't want to endure. Look, when we don't want to endure one another, when we don't want to put up with, when we're thin-skinned, when we're edgy in your marriage, man, I've used this in marriage lots of times in marriage ceremonies. Endure, you're going to have to endure one another. It's not going to, you're not going to wake up every day loving everything about that person. And you're going to have to endure your pastors. You're going to have pastors are going to have to endure you. You're going to have to endure your fellow church members. Bear it up. Endure one another. Bearing one another. I mean, why? Because Christ has endured and bared up you. That's how you, in your marriage, that's what you do. When Paul tells husbands, love your wives, Christ loved the church. Man, my model for loving my wife is not how much she loves me or how she's treating me or the mood that she's in or how many, how many things she's doing that I want her to do. My model for loving my wife is as Christ loved the church unconditionally, 24-7, consistently, sacrificially. Endure one another. Give in to one another. Love one another. Bear up one another. And that's what we need in the church. I mean, I, I know we're this side of heaven. I'm not a perfect pastor. I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect dad. I'm far from it. This side of heaven, there are no perfect elders, no perfect deacons, no perfect staff, no perfect church. I get that. And God, he'll forgive us and we can move on and he'll still find ways to to overcome our weaknesses. But man, I deal with so many churches who fuss and fight and quarrel. And I think, how can that be when we set our mind on Christ and we are one in him? How can a body that is one in Christ fight with each other and not endure one another and not bear one another up? How are we modeling Christ when we do that? If one has a complaint, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. I mean, you can't hold grudges in church, for goodness sakes. And some of you want to. You never want to let them go. And then you wonder why you're not happy. Put on love, which binds things together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. And what do you do? This is, we need each other. As I said, once we've been renewed, we, we, we put off the old, we've taken on the new. We're just babes. We're not, we're not, we're not there yet. 
And in God's perfect wisdom, he's put us in his body, the local congregation, the local church, to teach us how to grow, how to endure one another, how to bear one another up, how to give in to other people, how not to think that we're the most important thing in the world, how not to find our identity in what people think of us, but we find our identity in what Christ has done for us. And then... Not only just to bear each other up and endure one another and put up with one another and forgive one another, but there's a second part of that where we admonish one another. We encourage one another by singing hymns and songs and thankfulness in your hearts and whatever you do in word or deed, giving thanks. In other words, we, we, we're better together as we encourage one another. This is discipleship. This is how we grow in Christ. We grow in a body. We grow in a community. So that when you, when you face a tragedy in your life, there are believers who come around you and support you. When you lose your job, you lose your spouse. When you, when you have a, a season in your life when you even doubt your faith and you doubt everything. You're not alone. That there's a community, a wonderful place that they know you and they don't care. They bear you up anyway. There's a place where everybody knows your name, everybody knows who you are, and they love you anyway because Jesus loves you and Jesus loves them and we're all in this together and it's not yet what we're going to be. We're all going to be perfect one day. That's what Paul is painting here. And wouldn't you like to be part of a church like that? I get so tired in social media of seeing people criticize their churches all the time. For goodness sake, don't go to social media and do that. Don't let the whole world see that. You're just trying to draw attention to yourself anyway if you're doing that. There's nothing, I can't imagine the Apostle Paul saying, look, if you got a problem with your pastor, go ahead and put it out there on Twitter. You got a problem with your church, go ahead and talk about it on Facebook. That'll teach those people how to live. You got a problem with someone else in your church, make a few phone calls and send a few emails and let people know how hurt you are and not what he says he says forgive one another bear one another why because it just shows you how much christ loves you and how he bore your sin and he continues to bear your sin and basically it's you got to go back to there's no greek there's no jew there's no free there's no slave you got to quit trying to find your identity in comparing yourself to other people And I'm better than this. I'm not like them. This is my background. This is what I believe. No, we're all in Christ. We lose that. Christ is all. We don't need anything else. We are all his children. We're all in his family. We're all sinners in need of a savior. We've all been redeemed and we don't deserve any of it. All of it is by God's initiation and God will complete it. And he's asked us here on this earth, in this world, in this church, in your marriage, in your workplace, to bear up one another, to endure one another, and to encourage one another, not to discourage one another, not to cause one to stumble, not to be hypercritical. If you've got a problem, the scripture tells you how to deal with it. You've got a problem with your pastor, there are ways to deal with it. Take another pastor with you, take another member with you. That's another sermon for another day. But you don't just get angry and miffed and and stomp out or say, I'm going to leave or pick on people about it. First of all, there's no joy in that. There's no happiness in that. You'll not find fulfillment in that. You're never going to put out a bad tweet or a bad Facebook post on a believer and then go, man, I feel clean now. I feel so good. I'm so edified. Jesus is so real to me. You're not going to feel that. You're going to feel like I'm better than that person. 
Then you're right back to, well, I'm a Greek. Well, I'm a Jew. Well, I'm a free. Well, I'm a slave. No, you're not. We're all the same. We're all helpless, hopeless sinners that because of nothing we've done, God reached down in his love and saved us and continues to save us. And if it weren't for his grace, you wouldn't have breath in your lungs, you wouldn't have a beat in your heart, and you would spend eternity as an object of his wrath. So get over yourself. You're really not all that great. You may have problems with other people, but let me tell you what. If you got what you deserved, your life would be over. Your all is in Christ. And when you put your all in him and you look to him and you think on him and you dwell on him, here's just this simple phrase that, that, you know, I've learned so much being with Johnny Hunt in the last four or five years and having been able to travel around with him and hear him speak. And the, the most important thing Johnny Hunt's ever said to me, if you don't love your people enough, it's because you don't love Jesus enough. He's talking to pastors. Pastor, the way you love your people is to love Jesus more. The more you love Jesus, the more you'll love your people, all your people, not just the ones who love you, but especially the ones who don't love you. And that's true for church members. You want to love people more? Don't think that they're going to change. Don't try to change them. Don't try to manipulate them. Don't try. Just love Jesus more. And the more you love Jesus, the more you'll love your wife. The more you love Jesus, the more you'll love your husband. The more you love Jesus, the more you'll love your parents. The more you love Jesus, the more you'll love those relatives that drive you nuts. The more you love Jesus, the more you'll love that boss that is really hard on you. That co-worker that doesn't, isn't honest and doesn't do their share of the work. The more you love Jesus, the more you can love the person who stabs you in the back. As Jesus made it abundantly clear, if someone slaps you on the cheek, give them the other cheek also. The more you love Jesus, because the more you fix your heart and your mind on him, the more you see his beauty. You get, he's the fullness of He's all you need. You don't need him and affirmation of other people. You don't need him and other people to agree with you all the time. You don't need him and other people to think you're great. You just need him. And he is all you need. What a wonderful passage of scripture. And I pray in our lives as Christians, we'll live it out. And we'll realize it's for our joy. It's for our benefit. And it's for the glory and the beauty of Christ. It does not speak well to a community when a church does not get along. It robs God of his glory. And basically says somewhere we have not focused on Christ. We focused on ourselves. And that always leads to destruction. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these saints and how much they do love you. And all of us are imperfect and we all struggle with this and we battle with it. But Lord, may we never quit battling. May we look to you. May we, as Paul says, set our mind and our hearts on you. May we think about you. May we sing about you. May we daily read your word, daily spend time in prayer, daily listen to good podcasts, on, and, and daily think about our church family and care for them and look forward to gathering together and being kind to one another and generous to one another and forbearing one another. And every time someone is, is rude to us or mean to us or ignores us or hurts us, let us see it as an opportunity for us to experience the grace of God in their life and to be gracious to them as you're gracious to us in the midst of all of our sin may we identify with you even in that Lord it all begins when we quit focusing on this world and trying to find our joy our identity our pleasure our sense of purpose in the things this world gives us 
And rather we find it all and all in you. What you have done, what you are doing, what you will do for us. Lord, cause us to love one another. Bear one another. Encourage one another. Lift each other up. Walk side by side with each other. What a glorious picture of the kingdom the church can be. And I pray, Father, that daily we will become more that kind of church because that will happen as each of us put our hearts and our faith and our trust more and more in you and less in the things of this world. Father, remind us there's no joy in being made much of. There's only joy when we can make much of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us this morning? We're going to sing just this brief chorus. If God's dealing with you about anything in your life at all, becoming a member of this church, maybe you've never been converted and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you've not yet been transformed, then this is a great time to come and let a pastor talk with you about it. If you just want to come and pray or you want to stand where you are and pray, look, all of us battle daily sin and temptation. We all, have a, we all battle wanting our own way, wanting our own agenda. This side of heaven, we're caught up in this sinful body and this sinful urges and we have to fight them every day. But man, fight them. Don't give up. And even right now, confess it when you've not been the husband, the dad, the mother, the wife, the sister, the church member. When you've thought things you shouldn't think and you've said things you shouldn't say. And you haven't, bared, you haven't endured one another and you haven't encouraged each other. And make it intentional that that's what you're going to do. We are going to be a community here that loves each other and reflects the gospel because none of us are perfect. And we're going to just love Jesus more. And the more we love Jesus, we're going to love each other more. That's the kind of church the world needs. They don't need a church with great music and a great building and great programs. They need a church where people love a great God and love each other with greatness. In all their brokenness and all their difficulties and all their challenges.